Okay, I'm with it. Coolin. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Well, mm. <sighs> I again did not come with news this week because this one might be kind of long. This is a. We're talking about Mammoth Caves. How is this a long one? Well, well, I figured maybe we would have some more anecdotal information since we actually went here. Oh. Is this this is the first of you know hopefully many travel episodes where we actually have gone and seen loosely the, uh, to the place related to what we're talking about. You know, yeah. Like I think we could really you know stretch some things and like. When's the when's the Door County episode? You know. Well, I got Well, I actually did talk about when's Door the, County. When's when the getting lost the first in South Indiana episode? On. Oh, that's true. Oh yeah. Gosh, it's been a it's been a little while. Yeah, it's been a lot of a yeah. lot of episodes. Mm-hmm. But you know, maybe we can go to Canada and we'll just very loosely talk about healthcare. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything. Right. The most Lake Champlain when I go to Vermont. Oh yeah, there you go. Anyway, so we didn't went to Mammoth Cave. Was that two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Gosh, I want to say I that think was it was three weeks. Three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been kind of slacking, but it was a it was a lovely national park. Yep. You know, about an hour and a half-ish north of Nashville, if you go there when the cher- the ferry is working. Yep, yep, yep. It's in a uh, wonderful, proud part of this country, you know, also known as the rolling hills of uh, Kentucky, just north of Bowling if you, Green. If you go up there, be prepared, because some of the counties are dry, and if you want to buy a couple beers while you're going camping, do it before you get there, because <laughs> some places do not have any. And... Through my like research, I've been very frequently on like the National Park webpage. The ferry is very frequently not working. Really? Like, I think we were lucky to get there when it was working. Like I went on there the other day and it was like very close for maintenance. And I was like, well, then you're screwed. It was quite the contraption, honestly. Um, there's like, a river that cuts like bisects the whole park pretty yeah. much, and there's one way to get over it, and it's a real rickety old ferry. I wonder why that is, you know. I, there must be some regulation where they can't build a bridge because yeah. it's like very inconvenient. Yeah, they, they must they, they must honestly not really want all that many people like using it as a thoroughfare, you know. True, I guess that aren't like in the park. Yeah, it is kind of I mean, then the they park. could just start charging to get it like through the park. Like even if it's a couple bucks. Yeah. Cuz then know. people won't cut through. I don't know. But it's kind of nice how like how like not many people like were in the park. You know, it was very it was quiet. quiet, It was nice. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We also went on a weekend and camped when it got down to like twenty degrees at night. Right. I guess our yeah, I guess our I guess our I guess our own poor planning was like part of the reason why there was no one there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. The campgrounds were not chocked full of people. No. Anyway, so we can start with a little history of the park. So Mav Cave National Park was established. Skipping the news. Just straight in. I told you I was skipping the news. Skipping the news, you people. You told me like four episodes ago that you were going to come with something, some news. Work and some I've busy. never got a piece of news. <laughs> yeah. I actually think about it often. It's like, oh man, I could actually like t- take a minute and like, you know. Look at the news. Compile some really terrible, you know, search history on my uh, on my work computer and, and, and bring a quick rundown. You know, all right, next, ne- next episode... I'm going to come with a fun topic. We're going to do Forest Corner. We're going to do a quick rundown right. on a topic of my choice. Okay. okay. I'll come with some news for you. All right. All right. We're getting back on track. All right. Cool. Anyway, so Mammoth Cave National quick Park. Quick pause. Oh, God. Is that Belgian listener still, still uh, hanging out? I mean, as far as I know, because, like, you can kind of see, like, areas, yeah. and I'm still seeing 
Views pop up in Belgium. God, if you're if you're that Belgian listener, thank you very much, sir. I do want to. I really want like you know. There's nobody really I think that listens religiously except my sister and, to start and, sending and, me emails. And this proud person from uh, from Belgium, Frank Research Peter, Project at email.com. Yeah, Hit me up. Yeah. My loyal two listeners. You know. One person from Belgium. Five five star. And yeah, rating, go go please. rate and review. Yeah, yeah, go go <laughs> rate and review. Yeah. You know? Do do your, only if it's nice though. I can't read bad comments or I probably will cry. <laughs> and I know you have bad opinions, so. <laughs> AJ, I'm talking to you. My Belgian buddy down there, I love you. Down there? Keep doing you. Up there. Over there. Up there. Okay. I keep thinking I'm still in Wisconsin. I still think they would still be up. Yeah. Actually, no. Wisconsin's about on the same like latitude as like France. I'm regretting these interjections. All right. Into the into Yeah. The I could have been started this five minutes ago. So, it was established in July of 1941. The park is about 80 square miles and holds the largest cave system in the world. The Mammoth Cave has over 400 miles of mapped cave with five levels going down about 30 stories. The fossil levels, which are like the the four like older levels, because the older caves are up top more, you know, and the newer caves are the new the bottom ones. Because Cretaceous it just keeps period. going down. Jurassic period. Somebody paid attention. Yep. So, the fossil levels, which are the older levels, the top levels, have the remnants of where the river was flowing and the cave was still forming as the river continues to, like, eat away at the ground and the water table drops. Paleozoic. More miles that are discovered every year. That's another and the one. the true size is unknown. And there are Paleolithic. only about 10 miles available tours. The cave is about 10 million years old and was the first evidence of human interaction occurred over 4,000 years ago. During the Mississippian era, 325 million BCE. Did you get name that one? Protozoic. That's another. Layers of limestone <laughs> were deposited over modern-day Kentucky. Rainwater began eating away at the limestone, and the first passages of the cave began to form around 10 million BCE. Um, we learned that the cave has been made as the water table lowered and like the ocean went down, you know. And these underwater streams and rivers kept getting deeper and deeper into the earth. It wasn't until about 5,000 to 2,000 BC that Native Americans entered the cave looking for minerals and to explore. Neolithic. That's another. Indigenous people entered <laughs> into it and explored with torches made of cane. Charred remains of these cane torches have been found miles inside the cave within chambers lined with crystals. We saw some of these when we went into the cave. They had some in the, one of those little boxes. You were paying attention. That's very Cretaceous period. Footprints, clothing, sandals, gourds, and dries <laughs> have been found along with evidence of burials. At least four bodies were found in the cave since the 1800s, um, and due to the minerals found inside the cave, they were naturally mummified. Sorry, I've been trying to think of like different like. Uh, I know you're. Do you even know what I'm talking about right now? <laughs> we're talking about stalagmites, stalactites. What's the, the difference? The, Who knows? <laughs> the presence of native people stopped, like within the cave, stopped abruptly about 2,000 years ago for unknown reasons. Possibly Legend. during the Neolithic period. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Legend I'm done. has it that the cave was discovered, <laughs> I'm doing air quotes, in the 1700s by a man out bear hunting. He shot a bear and then tracked it, the injured animal, that led him to one of the entrances of the cave. So there are now 25 known entrances of the cave, and the name Mammoth Cave was originally published in a Richmond newspaper in 1810, even though there have never been any woolly mammoths in the cave. Right, it was just a general like gesture towards, like, I guess, like, I think we were on that tour, and the tour guide was kind of saying, at that time, that was kind of a popular buzzword in the press, was just calling any big thing 
mammoth. Because, like, they know? were finding, like, I think mammoths, like, in the tar pits and, mm-hmm. like, out in wherever they find them. They were yeah. finding them all over It was just a very popular term, like, like you, yeah. know, you know, from... Like from, gargantuan. From 2016 to 2020, it was very popular to say huge. It's huge. Yeah. So is that, a, is that a way of a comment? Yeah. All right, perfect, perfect, nope. perfect. Yep, that, that's yeah. appropriate. All right. Speaking of all the uh, all the entrances, that, that, that was one of the really striking things about just visiting that area in general was all the different little... Because obviously you have like, the major national park, like you know, cave, entrance. cave entrances. It's called the historic entrance. The historic entrance, yeah. But um, no, I mean, if you drive around that area, what's really interesting is all of these basically like mom and pop cave entrances where like literally somebody, I guess, owns the rights to literally just this door from this blasted like hole in the ground. I think if you, you know? have like a few acres in that area, you can just drop a few sticks of dynamite in the ground and you will find a cave yeah. somewhere. Yeah, you know. But um, no, it is it's very really It's really cool. And yeah. like even on the like National Park grounds, like we just stopped and pulled off on the side of the road and like went and did a quick like trail walk and you find like oh there's the entrance to like sand cave where it's like 0.5 miles that way there's white's cave or whatever and we ended up walking like way off the path because we just kept going and seeing like all these different cave entrances yeah yeah. it was actually really cool very interesting they are they're all over the place Mm -hmm. um so an area called booth's amphitheater was scoped out for hoppers to begin mining for saltpeter and saltpeter or pater as they call it is potassium nitrate Hmm. And abundant in the cave due to thousands of years of bat poop, which is also called... Guano. There you go. Ding, ding, ding. 1812, the cave was purchased and used to mine calcium nitrate to create saltpeter, which is used in gunpowder, and which was very necessary at the time because there was a war. What war was it? War of 1812. Good boy. Lasted... Wait. Four years, right? I was thinking of the Hundred Years' War. In France, we did yes. We that no more than a hundred years. I in the War of eighteen twelve go eighteen twelve to eighteen sixteen. I think that's another good misnomer. Then War of eighteen twelve. That was well. It started in eighteen twelve. That was us versus the French over Louisiana. I maybe yeah. fur traders. Something like that. Quebec. No, too long. Robespierre. The Louisiana Purchase. That might have actually been part of it. I don't know. Okay. About 100 enslaved <laughs> this people isn't a were US then forced class. to work in these like saltpeter mine. And we saw some of this too. That's like the first thing you see when you go into the cave is like these big wooden square boxes that they would like mush, I guess, all this saltpeter up in and then pipe it out. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So. Well, and that was one of the big things about, you know, if you do that historic uh, cave tour in there. They do a good job of kind of, uh, they've kind of preserved a lot of the old mining equipment or I guess as you're going to get into some of the other sort of artifacts of the day. So when you're, you know, walking through the, yeah, that tour, um, you see a lot of these, you know, kind of these big sort of, um, irrigation tunnels for the, mm-hmm. you know, the saltpeter, you know, silt that they would prepare, you know, and the big yeah. sort of boxes of the rocks that they would kind of do the sifting yeah. or whatever. And, well, I think this tour is really interesting because when we did the one out in South Dakota, my one other cave tour experience... There's just been, like, so many people, like, in this cave. Like, yeah. there's, like, a lot of, like, human history in the cave. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I feel like not a lot of the other caves have a history of, like, all these people being in it for, like, different purposes. Unless right. there's, like, a mining cave. But, like, half the time, those are, like, man-made. Right. No, I mean, I think, um, yeah, I, I guess what makes this one pretty interesting artifact of history is the fact that the um, the utility of it kind of expired quickly 
in terms of like the need to use like to acquire this like salt pe- you know saltpeter for yeah. gunpowder which i'm guessing you know i haven't really looked into it but i imagine salt there you know saltpeter and limestone was replaced as a or something else as yeah as an ammunition substance and then because yeah i mean i mean ostensibly you could do that with any mine but the fact of the matter is like you know coal and other resources the well, the, 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 the mammoth caves yeah it, it's i guess lifetime as an economic mine kind of ended pretty quickly mm-hmm. as opposed to other mines which are like, just like totally dug out or yeah. dangerous because they just got drilled in so far you know which apparently we should keep using this because bakwano is like a pretty reusable resource you just got to keep the bath pooping yeah and apparently there's a lot of bats there are a lot of bats in this cave we saw one yeah, we did we did bats bats so during 1812 the remains of a native american woman were found at the entrance to short cave her remains were very well preserved and not much is known about the death of this woman but she was presumed to be an older woman of importance in her tribe because she was encased in stone wrapped in deer skins with beads feathers and other items that may have made up her dress the body was moved to an area called the rotunda which is where we you enter right away Mm -hmm. when you go into the cave where all those mining equipment things were I'm talking to Forrest like he's the only one I'm talking to, but nobody else knows what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking the, about. The first, which is the first large room. her name was Sacagawea. Mm, no. Could have been. Could have been. Maybe. Who knows? No, they don't know her name. So yeah. her name could have been Karen. Who knows? The first large room <laughs> from the natural entrance to the cave, but the enslaved saltpeter miners did not like that they just had this dead body sitting around. So then it was moved to Gothic Avenue. Mm. A man named Nathan Ward procured the remains claiming to protect them in a museum but he actually moved them around as a traveling exhibition minnesota iceman style Mm -hmm. these were damaged and eventually passed to the ward of american antiquarian society in 1817 and were antiquarian (laughs) and then exhibited at the world's fair in 1876 and 1893 and they were eventually moved to the smithsonian where they remain today in 1876 Hmm. Yes. Not to keep on derailing this podcast, but did you know the correct pronunciation is most likely Sacagawea? No. Continue. Wasn't she... We talked about this before, but isn't it like presumed that she... like That story is not true at all. She was like most likely an allegorical representation yeah. of the various Native Americans that helped yeah. them along their way. Yes. That's correct. Okay. Yes. So this widely publicized story about this mummy that they found in the short cave led to the start of a century-long fascination and tourism industry for Mammoth Cave. So Franklin Gorin bought the cave and then used it as a tourist attraction. Artifacts have been found in previous years and he saw the potential for an attraction and he began tours in 1816 in the cave. He still used slaves as tour guides and for early tourists. Stephen Bishop was an enslaved back tour guide from the 1840s to the 1850s. He is celebrated as he explored, mapped, and named many of the cave's famous features seen today. He began when he was 17 when he was brought to the cave in 1838 by Gorin. He used ropes, lanterns, discovered tunnels, crossed black pits, and traveled down the rivers within the cave. There were sinkholes, cracks, fissures, springs that made his exploration very dangerous. And one lantern going out, he'd be dark. That would be so scary. No, like, yeah, exploring it's tough with, like, to, gas yeah. lanterns and then, like, something happens and your lantern goes out and you like, there's no way you're finding your way out. No, it's it's tough to appreciate when you're on one of those, one of these kind of commercial tours or whatever because there's a walkway and there's lighting and yeah. all that. But, yeah, you got to think about back in the 1800s or whatever, you know, when these guys were first exploring it. Um, yeah, I mean, you just had your one lantern. Although, you know, beyond that, it was pitch dark and like, you know, I mean, we kind of have this, you know, the sort of infrastructure developed in the cave where we kind of yeah. have a nice bridge that goes over this like 
50 meter deep, you know, hole in the ground. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, when you're an explorer like that, you have your little lantern and some rope. Maybe a ladder you some Yeah, some ropes or a ladder or whatever. And, you know, yeah, beyond that, it's just, you know. This, I think, is a cave tour. I feel like we're like, hashtag not sponsored by National Park, Mammoth Cave National Park. But, like, this is a very good tour for someone to go on if they don't like caves. Because yeah. you don't feel like you're in a cave. Because, like, parts of it are, you feel like you're in, like, like a stadium. Because they're so big. Yeah, yeah. But then there's also other parts that are very small. And it's, like, all lit with, like, electric lighting. And, like, yeah, there's a pathway. It's yeah. really nice. Yeah, no, it, yeah. It was, if you don't uh, like caves, you can probably go on this. Yeah, it's I, I'll, I'll say so. <laughs> yeah. You feel like you're just in a break room. Yeah. Um, but some branches that he discovered and mapped by memory were not found again for decades and some places um were only found with like modern technology later and he ended up liking his duty and had a passion for it and he discovered leaf lake well he discovered lake leaf the river sticks and echo river at the cave's bottom level which is that like fifth floor down or whatever which is about 360 feet below the surface the Echo River holds eyeless fish and cave crayfish, which are both blind, as white as bone. He sailed these rivers on a boat that he dragged into the cave, and a scholarly article detailing the blind fish in the river sticks came out in Philadelphia in 1842. He met another enslaved worker named Charlotte. They fell in love, got married, eventually moving in together in one of the homes for the enslaved workers. Charlotte's grotto is a jewel-lit cavern filled with gypsum flowers that he took um, Charlotte, his wife, to. And they had an inscription um, in 1843 with, like, a heart around it with their names that you can still see today in the cave, but it's, like, not part of the tour. It's on some other part of it. Mm, But there's, like, pictures of it. In 1856, the couple were freed, and in 1857, they sold 112 acres of land that they acquired, which they don't really know how they got it, if it was, like, it was given to them or, like, they purchased it somehow. But Stephen received tips and knowledge from visitors that he took on tours, so they kind of guessed that someone gave him some, like, finance bro advice on how mm-hmm. to get some land out of this. Cool. Stephen died a few months later at the age of 37 from mysterious causes, and he led a tour a year before and discovered a section um, of the cave that expanded the known sections by 11 miles. He was buried in an unmarked grave in front of the entrance to the cave, but in 1878... James R. Mellon, a millionaire, told Charlotte that he would provide her husband with a headstone. It arrived three years later in 1881, and it turned out to be an unclaimed Civil War headstone with the original name scratched out and the death date wrong by two years. So he kind of gave them a pretty shitty deal. Or or, or a historic artifact from the Civil War as a possibly. headstone. You know, if someone were to, if someone, when I die, if someone were to give me a headstone that was a, a Civil War one with the name scratched out, call it a win. Yeah, you know? it was like 10 years after the Civil War. It's not as impressive. It's like getting a Desert Storm from, sure. All right, we'll go with it. You're, you'd be happy about it. Desert Storm. All right. So in 1839, Dr. John Krogan purchased the cave for $10,000. Guess how much that is in today's money? You were a couple off. After the previous owner died, he suffered from tuberculosis, which was the leading death of cause at the time. The consumption. Yes, the consumption. All right. (laughs) He turned part of the cave into a tuberculosis Barnabas is a case of the consumption, doctor. Consumption. 
He noted that the air quality was different in the cave and believed that it made people people feel well after visiting the cave. I felt great after visiting the cave. I did too. Accounts from the miners also stated how they would often not fatigue in the cave after hours of work and the, there was little decay inside the cave, i.e. the mummies, and hoped that the same environment would cure people from tuberculosis. So in 1842, he invited 13 patients to spend the winter within the cave in buildings made of timber and stone along Broadway, which is, like, they have names for all, like, the, the big chunks in the cave, and they're mm-hmm. all, like, street names, so that it's on Broadway. Um, desperate for relief, all 13 agreed to spend 100% of their time underground. The first patient, Dr. William J. Mitchell, entered the cave in May of 1842, mm. and at first the results were positive, and people began to like feel better and idealize more treatment centers and even a hotel within the cave but quickly the patients became more ill smoke and ash from the lanterns plus the damp air injured their already weak lungs alfred an enslaved man cooked meals above ground and brought them into the cave he would sound a bell when the meals were ready and the patients would come out of their huts when he like came down to the cave in the lantern light he described them as skeleton like and said quote i used to stand on the rock and blow the horn to call them to dinner there were 15 of them, and they looked more like a company of skeletons than anything else. Visitors were also still coming to the cave at this time and would encounter the patients in hospital gowns, scuttling around the dark and coughing in the distance, which sounds very scary. Well, I mean, like, why, if you send these people in the caves, like, why would you keep them in hospital gowns is, is my question. Yeah, I don't really know why they did that either. Hmm. It seemed, and it's not like that warm down there. Like, that'd be kind of cold. You get a little dropped on your cheeks. Yeah. Anyway. Hmm. Five of these patients died and were laid out on corpse rock. Dr. Krogan called the experiment after five months, and the last patient left in March of 1843. The cave remained open during the Civil War, which lasts from 1861 to 1865, to the public, and the soldiers were stationed near the cave. There were 41 confirmed Civil War soldier signatures on the walls, um, plus a scratch portrait of Abraham Lincoln. And we saw this one in the cave, too. There's, like, just, like, thousands of signatures. Like, I feel like everyone, like, up until, like, the 60s went into the cave and signed their name on it. Yeah. You know, people, talk, can't do now. people kind of uh, laugh about, you know, the whole tuberculosis people in the cave thing. But if you look it up, I mean, at that time, people were pretty mystified by tuberculosis. They had no clue what to do. And people were, at that time, were throwing shit at a wall. Like, I, I remember there was this other story about, like, like um, I don't know, people would, like, get tuberculosis on the East Coast, hear the, you know, hear the people were doing better with it, like, in Colorado or even on the West Coast, and they would just send their kid, you know, yeah, they would send the afflicted across the country just to be over there, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people just like, threw shit at a wall with that shit about well, that. I mean, that's kind of still something they do today. Like, old people move down to, like, Arizona or something because the weather is better and it doesn't, like, affect them as much. Yeah. Well, From Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my family's done that. Um, so during the 1920s, most of the caves or parts of the caves were privately owned, which led to the Kentucky Cave Wars. The Krogan family, which was that like doctor's family, mm-hmm. I kind of like passed down in his family even after he died, owned the majority of the cave that was known and the land around it. Stephen Bishop continued kind of his work in the cave after he was freed, but he had crossed the bottomless pit, allowing exploration to advance to the underground rivers and passages beyond. Other aspiring tour guides wanted to own land near Flint Ridge and began to force entrances of the cave open in an attempt to compete with Mammoth Cave. These flashy caves were called Diamond Caves, Indian Cave, and Hundred Domes Cave, and were advertised on billboards to bring in tourists to the area. 
Eventually, there were eight separate, quote-unquote separate, caves battling for tourism, even though this area was just one big cave system. They would place misleading signs and fake policemen to direct potential wannabe spelunkers from one entrance to their entrance. They would harass other businessmen, other businesses, tour guides, burn down ticket offices, and put out forged advertisements. A representative of a private cave, which were called cappers at the time, would hop on a tour bus for Mammoth Cave and tell the folks that the cave was closed or damaged so that people would come to their cave. One of these prospective cave entrepreneurs was Kate Floyd Collins, who owned a section of the cave called Crystal Cave. He was losing in the cave wars to Mammoth Cave, obviously, and his because his entrance was hard to get to and he did not have lodging. He began to dig another entrance call to Sand Cave to steal visitors from Mammoth Cave. During excavation on January 30th of 1925, a boulder slipped and pinned his leg 55 feet below the surface in a small crawl space. He was found a day later and the press covered his predicament and people came to see him pinned in the cave. Hot dog stands and souvenir shops popped up while he was trapped in this little space. It was one of the top news stories at the time, along with the Charles Lindbergh solo flight and the kidnapping of his baby. Rescuers could not move the boulder, um, planning to possibly amputate an event, amputate his leg when eventually the cave caved in and blocked him off from rescuers. The rescuers finally reached Floyd through a 55-foot vertical shaft on the 18th day of his entrapment, but he had died a couple of days previous from exposure. So they talked about We saw Sand Cave, too. Future episode, the Lindbergh baby. All right, yes, we'll yeah. get to him eventually. And then, so, during these cave wars, like, did uh, did the death of Stephen Bishop line up at all with uh, the time period of these cave wars? So this, yeah, the cave wars were in the 20s, and Bishop died when he was 37. I don't exactly know the year he died, but I think he died way before this happened. Okay, okay, huh, interesting. Okay. Um, but Floyd's body didn't really get a proper burial because a local dentist bought the property from Floyd's father, who somehow gave this dentist permission to exhume Floyd's body. And he, his body was put in a glass display at the entrance of Sand Cave, and which was then stolen and possibly by a rival cave capper who was jealous because this body was, like, bringing tourists in to Sand Cave to see Floyd's body. <laughs> and... A few days later, the body was found in a field, missing a leg, which was never found. He was returned to his box in Sand Cave, which was then bought by the National Park System in 1961, and he wasn't buried properly until 1989. A lot of tomfoolery. Yeah, this guy's body got passed around a lot. Another mummy was found in 1935 by a group working for the Civilian Conservation Corps about two and a half miles from this historic entrance to the cave. They found the body of a Native American man who was lying... Um, on his back under a large boulder, they presumed he was probably mining gypsum and dislodged the rock, causing it to trap him um, for thousands of years, and they nicknamed him Lost John. His remains were moved to be studied and put on display along the historic tour route, which, where they remained for years, but in the 1970s, the miner's body was moved as people got a little soft and didn't want to see walk dead bodies a, walk past a dead body hmm. i mean it was like a mummy at that point it probably would have been pretty cool yeah that was it, so. the body was moved to a secret location in the cave where he could now rest unbothered by tourists which i would have loved to see oh yeah but that's fine 
1938, Dr. Nathaniel Kleetman and his postgrad Bruce Richardson lived in the cave for 32 days to study the circadian rhythms. The University of Chicago professor wanted to determine if his cycle could be broken and the body could adapt to a cycle of different length. The two men entered the cave and took residence 119 feet underground in complete darkness on June 4th of 1938. They wanted to live on 28-hour cycles, sleeping 9 hours each 28-hour day, which would make 6 long days in a calendar week. Their cycle consisted of eating, sleeping, reading, writing, and walking. They emerged after 32 days. Richardson adapted, which was the postdoc. Richardson adapted and stretched his temperature cycle to the 28-hour days, whereas Dr. Kleetman had difficulty. His temperature cycle clung to the 24-hour schedule and experienced difficulty sleeping, possibly due to his age, which he was 43, to Richardson was 25. All right. <laughs> In 2013, white-nose syndrome was detected in the bats of Mammoth Cave. This disease is caused by a fungus called Pseudogenomycosis destructans. I don't know. A fungus word. Which is abbreviated PD. Uh, This affects hibernating bats. It causes a little white fuzz on the bat's face that can grow while they're in their relatively inactive hibernation state. As the fungus grows, it causes changes in the bats and makes them more active, which burns up their winter fat. They sometimes fly outside during the day in the winter, which is very odd. The fungus is localized now to North America and spreads mostly from bat-to-bat contact, but can cling to clothes and shoes for periods of time. Many species are affected and many are not. It has killed millions of bats in North America and even 90 to 100% in some sites. There is no cure yet for the disease, but a vaccine and some adaptations for bat habitat are in the works. The disease is relatively new to science, but was first seen in caves in Albany, New York in 2007. Hmm. So that's why we had to walk. When you go out of the cave, you have to walk on these like little sticky mats yeah. or like this yeah. disinfectant mat to, hmm. to make sure the no other bats get their little nose stuff. But apparently there's like a lot of bats in the cave because we went to that other cave entrance and it had like a big bat display thing because I guess there's like a bunch of different species of bats in the cave. Generally, generally speaking, sounds like a bit of a no hooting and hollering warning when you see a bunch of, you know, bat signs. Yeah, I guess so. You can't just go, Uh, yeah, you know. Do people do that in Austin when they see the big bat? Bat parade? (laughs) I I mean, the the Austin thing is weird if you ever have a chance to visit that. It's, uh... In, in Austin, Texas, uh, there's a there's a bridge right by right right, in, right on downtown. Um, you know the downtown Austin kind of borders a big river, and there's a you know a big uh, roadway bridge that crosses the river. And underneath this roadway bridge, there's a a huge massive population of bats that kind of live within you know the right. They sound like that um, within this bridge. Um, and I don't really think it would bother the bats if you yelled, you know, hello, my name's, you know, Batman, you know, I'm, I'm one of you, take me, you know. I don't think, like, because like, there's cars driving over all the time. These bats have kind of, are weird because they've kind of adapted to, like, the vibrations and just the day-to-day city sounds. I mean, th- these bats are 50 yards away from an office building. It's crazy, you know. Um, and so they emerge once a night. But, um, no, I don't think, you know, yelling or, you know, banging pots and pans would really bug them, no. you know. See, that's probably what heavy sleepers. when we were, of course, going up to that, um, I think it was like White's Cave was that little tiny cave where we thought we saw a bat, but it was just like a little chickadee. Yeah. And we like bird. screamed when it flew out of like the, because they have like them all like, you can walk right up to a lot of entrances, but they have kind of like grates on them and mm-hmm. they're like easily accessible. Yeah. And we were peeking in one and this little bird flew out and we screamed. It was, it was pretty scary. It was know? pretty scary. It could, we we, we could have gotten bird flu. Yeah. 
The only thing that we didn't see, which I wish we would have, was the Old Guide Cemetery, which contains 21 graves and is off the Heritage Trail. It has three of the tuberculosis patients and Stephen Bishop's grave. Right. Which we just ran out of time. We didn't get to see it. But the big thing that I was intrigued about from Mammoth Cave was there are a lot of paranormal encounters that have occurred in the cave. And there are 150 recorded paranormal events, mostly from park rangers. And the park is given the title, The Most Haunted Natural Wonder of the World. Really? So the Violet City Tour includes a blackout where the tour group turns off all the lights and the guide speaks by lantern light, which we did a blackout on our tour. But there's a lot of children and people with their phones still on, which I was These very damn kids with. and their iPads. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I wanted to sit in the dark for 30 seconds. Did candy crush. Yep. Some are shoved playfully by an unseen force, hear footsteps that where no one is, air grabbed or touched in the darkness where people are not present. A guy named Larry Purcell noticed a black family standing behind the group and that he had not noticed before during the tour. A lot of white people, apparently, on this tour. that He hmm. noticed them right away. He... Um, noticed that the father of the group was wearing a white Panama hat. When the lights were turned back on, he did not see the family or even any other black person on the tour. And this took place in the Methodist church, which was named so because miners held service in the area um, a long time ago. And we, I think we walked through this and there's like mm-hmm. little pews. That's kind of a weird yeah. area. It was customary for the black members to sit in the back for the service. And the Methodist church site began holding religious services back in 1834. So he saw, like, ghost family, like, standing in the back. Mm-hmm. So he thinks that it was, like, a ghost family standing in the back, where they normally would have, like, stood during service. Oh, maybe it was some family standing in the wrong place. That's true. <laughs> I guess so. So Excuse us. <laughs> excuse us. We're still here. We got locked down here. Yeah. On another tour, a group was in the chief city room where a woman asked, who is up there among the rocks? And the guys saw a man holding a lantern on top of Sacrifice Rock, which I don't know where that is, but it sounds badass. He wore a long sleeve shirt and old droop style hat, often worn by the old slave guides. Through the though the group um, witnessed this man, the Rangers chopped it up to a series of shadows. Another group stopped um, to pause at a point passage one day to do a head count, which they do a lot on the tour. Though a ranger saw a man and she had not noticed him before and he was standing far behind the group wearing traditional miners clothing which include blue pants suspenders and a striped shirt he then disappeared and she did not notice him again which bad to her guide so she just saw like an old miner standing behind her group it seems like there would be a lot of like you know kind of paranormal stuff just with all like the you know lives and deaths and whatnot in this cave but it seems like a lot of these ex- a lot of these examples could be explained by just like strangely dressed people trying to sneak and have a free tour yeah maybe I mean, their security's pretty good. They have a pretty big gate in there. Yeah. So, a caver, who is someone who explores the cave, big shocker. Okay. Uh, was searching a part that Floyd Collins was known to frequent when she tripped and fell. She then felt someone grab the back of her shirt and pull her up. And she believed it was her partner, whose name was Richard. Um, does when anyone, she... Does anyone want to... Hang on. Let's just want to hear a sneeze. Okay. <laughs> it's not going to come out now, is it? No, it went away. Oh, gosh. Please continue. So, she tripped and fell, felt someone pull her up, thought it was her partner, Richard, but when she looked over, when she stood up, she saw that Richard was standing on the other side of the cave, and there was no one else with them, so she then thanked Floyd, because she thanked Floyd 
helped her from space planning. Oh, wow. Okay. So, there have also been many deaths in the caves. In 2014, a man from Florida passed away, and in 2015, a man died in a cottage on the property. A couple drove off the ferry into the Green River in 2015 and drowned. In 2019, a 23-year-old woman named Mariah Amber Decker was found in the Zion Hill Cemetery. They suspected foul play at first, but it was determined that her cause of death was acute diphenhydramine intoxication, which is the substance included in Benadryl. So she had a Benadryl overdose, maybe? Possibly? You know, I've heard uh, Benadryl, if you take take enough of it, uh, the high is pretty righteous. That's fantastic. From what what I've been told. Hmm. I have to try it out. Mm-hmm. In July of 2019... Now, how did this couple die? I knew you were just this. How did this couple drive off the ferry? First of all, how did they get off the ferry? First of all, you know, that's that's strange. It actually is... Pre- I feel like it actually would be pretty easy. Like, the f- we had ferries back home that would have, like, huge ramps that would, like, close up. And then you'd go across the river and then they'd flop down, like, onto the... Sh- pretty much like a boat landing, like, yeah. onto the shore. yeah. But, like, this just had, like, it would just kind of drive up onto the shore a little bit. And, like, it just had, like, a gate that would open up. Yeah. I mean, I think you could so do they, So you could drive through the gate. Now, once the car got into the water, how the heck did they drown? It's, like, five feet of water. I don't know. I think that river's pretty deep. I think it's, like, five feet deep. Why do you think the river's so shallow? I don't... I mean, because it's not very far across. Okay, so it's, like, I don't know. It's, like, five or ten feet It's deep. a big river. I'd be... I don't know. I'm just saying your car is, like, kind of hitting it, and, like, you got all this time for it to actually go down into the water, you um, know, like... I don't know. Ask that to the people with the Silver Bridge Collapse. I... That's more a little more traumatic. That's a little. Di- that's a little goddamn different than like slowly <laughs> meandering off of a ferry moving one mile per hour over like a okay at deepest ten feet deep river. You know, you can still drive. You could drown in ten feet deep. I mean, you could drown in a baby pool. It doesn't make it likely. You know. I don't know. I don't know the stipulations of it. Right, well. I just know that it does very firmly tell you to put your car in park when you're on the ferry. And I smell foul play. Continue. All right. I figured you would. So, in July of 2019, federal officials investigated a gunshot fired at the Mammoth Cave National Park prompted by an alleged Bigfoot sighting. Rangers reported around 2 a.m. to a backcountry campsite that a camper named Brad and his girlfriend went to sleep around 11 p.m. but awoke at 1 a.m. to people shining flashlights near their tent. They found a man and his son who then claimed something had destroyed their sight and were hearing strange noises. Brad said that the man wanted to go back because he knew it was Bigfoot country, and Brad's girlfriend claimed to have heard noises around their campsite too. The man then told Brad and his girlfriend that he had a gun, and if they heard noises, to retreat back to their tent. So the man went back to look for Bigfoot, and the couple went back to their tent, and after about 10 minutes later, they heard a gunshot. The man and his son came back and claimed that Bigfoot had emerged from the woods and he had discharged his weapon. The couple packed their things and left the site, scared of Bigfoot or the gun-wielding Bigfoot hunter. We may never know. Hmm. But So it's really good. They've, they've really seen everything out there. I feel like the Bigfoot, because like, there's different strains of Bigfoot. You know, you got your Pacific Northwest Bigfoot. You know, you have your uh, Southeastern Skunk Ape. You know, you have your Cajun... Uh, you know, Luke Garou, you know, is a basically a skunk cave, you know. Basically but I feel like the 
You know, what does I, the Appalachian Bigfoot look like? I feel like it's smaller, like a black bear. I was, yeah, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I, I, there's lots of Bigfoot hunting in like in uh, in Ohio and Ohio and Kentucky and like Indiana, and I feel like I feel like that's really the Bigfoot's Bigfoot is in is in these like weird sort of southern midwestern states, you know? I don't think that's because that's where you get your trophy or like your your more common Bigfoots. I just think it's because people have nothing better to do. I, well, I think and th- are easily impressionable. I think those are yeah, you get the ho- most hardcore Bigfoot fans, you know, doing the hunting, but none of the tourism. Cuz in the Pacific Northwest it's like, oh, you know, like redwood forests, you know, party on Bigfoot, I don't know. They um, want to go hang out with Bigfoot, but like the people in southern Indiana want to put Bigfoot on their wall. Yeah, I about to say, like, no one is buying like a six foot tall carving of, you know, of an ape man like they do, like, you know, when you go to go out to Yellowstone and, you know, go to their tour shops. Like, people just want to put this thing in the dirt, you know, they in have, Ohio. They're waging war against Bigfoot. Yeah, I, you know. And I don't like it. I want to be friends with Bigfoot. Nah, you know. I think he has a lot to say. I'm anti-Bigfoot, frankly. Really? I'm anti-Bigfoot. Really? Yep, yep. Think it's an ape? You know how I feel about apes. Uh, you, you do not like them. No, no, no. Especially especially like an interdimensional magic ape, you know? Like, imagine if imagine if Harambe could walk through walls, you know? Even more destructive. God, that kid wouldn't have stood a chance. That kid would not have stood, stood a chance, you know? He wouldn't have needed to have been dumb enough to fall into the pit. Nope, Harambe just could have reached the glass and grabbed him, him, you know? Just so, be careful what you wish for, people, you know? That's all I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about your opinions today. That's all right. Yeah. All right. Well, my resources for this are the first thing. We were planned to go on this trip, and I didn't know anything about this cave. I was just like, this cave seems fun. Mm -hmm. And I listened to the National Park After Dark, which their second episode was on Mammoth Cave National Park. And they talked about all this crazy stuff. And I was like, wow. And then I got us tickets, and then we went, and it was really fun. And the National Park... Service.gov timeline of National Cave or Mammoth Cave National Park, a Times article from July 18th of 1938, which talked about the um, Floyd Collins dude. White Nose Syndrome response team, which is very serious, take bad illnesses seriously, and a very nice tour guide who I forgot his name, but he was very good, very yep. informational. Yep. Which well. We can do a quick seven called Forces Tourism Corner. Right. You know, if yes. you go to if if you if you're going to Mammoth Cave, there's a couple of surrounding uh, towns. One is uh, Park City. There's nothing in Park City. Don't worry about it. And then there's Wait, which uh, one was Park City? Huh? The one we drove through. There was nothing there. Just said Park City. Park City. Was that where the Dry County was? Southeastern side, Dry I County. I hated it. Nothing, nothing there. All right. And don't plan on getting dinner either because ever closes at six. On a Friday night. Your derailing force is a tourism corner. Well, I want to chime in. <laughs> Continue. Continue. Uh, but no, it was Cave City. Fantastic. And, a, and a Cave City, yeah, was host to a lovely uh, Mexican restaurant. Uh, one of them called uh, Azatlan. Pretty good. Pretty good margaritas, I must say. Good chips and salsa. Um, there was Wait, a, uh, shout out the Cave Tour. There, I remember the Mexican restaurant. I don't remember the name, I don't remember the name of the Cave Tour. Hey, you, it you, was uh, Crystal Cave. Oh, oh yeah, that well that cave tour, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm getting there on Forest okay. Tourism Corner. Right, you know, I'll sit back. There was uh, there's some lovely coffee shops in the area, but um, well, really what they have is they have a very interesting sort of um, kind of a they they kind of have this sort of like tourism trap area. It's kind of like in transition. It's, it's really interesting because they have all these really 
kind of kitschy little things to do. Like they have Dinosaur World, which was just kind of this, you know, this multi-acre ranch with all these just like really funky like dinosaur statues, like life-sized, but it's like they were made in the 90s. You know, so it's like... And they have terrifying eyeballs. Oh, yeah, they have terrifying eyeballs. Like, some of them have, like, weird, like, bumps over the skin as if... like I mean, a lot of it is just, like... Some of them have full-body genital warts. A lot of it is just, like, you know, like, borderline outdated archaeology, and it's really cool, and I really recommend you check it out. It's a very cool place. Bring your dog. They're yeah. dog-friendly. Dog-friendly. I'll post friendly. a picture of Smokey on Dinosaur World on the Instagram. Please do. Yeah, we've got some great, great pictures there. Um... I don't know, it's just a really interesting sort of like kitschy tourism town, um, just random ass like, you know, um, rock shops obviously. Um, they What's really interesting is what, what they used to have, they used to kind of have what was really kind of more of like a Gatlinburg sort of tourism trap where they had this weird sort of like, you know, uh, putt-putt course and like weird haunted house and like old west town where you would take us take a ski lift up to this old west town that was on top of a hill and that's all kind of deserted now and it's really cool because it's sitting on the, on the on the top of the hill and there's nothing there and you can you're as you're driving by there's like this abandoned haunted house on this hill and it's really really cool to kind of see amongst all these i guess you know norm normally operating businesses and you know and, and, and whatnot well the cool thing was that i guess when they were building a parking lot for this whatever they had going on over there yeah good mountain yeah blew into as they do the side of a hill and they uncovered this cave and now we went on the crystal cave tour and it was very good yeah it was the it was the onyx crystal onyx no that that was we we just did onyx there was a there was another one there was there was a crystal onyx Onyx we didn't do okay um but um you know that was a really cool cave tour a really small cave tour you know where you just kind of walked in you know paid your 10 bucks and walked into the cave you know with your guide and took like 30 minutes and it was really cool yeah yeah there's cave crickets which i do not like yeah they were they were cave they were cave crickets you know and uh you just you just drive around that area and there's like i don't know like mike's you know the haunted mansion and and, and pizza house and there's a cracker barrel you gotta gotta have you gotta have a good cracker barrel at any sort of southern tourist town i yeah i definitely recommend a weekend of camping up there. Good uh, campgrounds? Of good campgrounds. I would recommend uh, the Cracker Barrel, the Azatland Mexican restaurant. Um, really got to go back and check out Mike's um, House of Mystery or whatever, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, the haunted house place. And they really advertised their wings. Their wings must have been pretty stout, you know? They pushed them. Yeah. Pushed so, them. anyway, good tourism area. I'd check it out, you know? Well, on. On force meter of one to Gatlinburg, where does the Mammoth Cave region rank? In what's terms a, of yeah, what's a place you visited? What's a tourism that area that you don't that you hated? Oh, a tour- that can be the bottom ranking of your X to Gatlinburg ranking of tourism corner. New York City's <laughs> is, is, Times is, is Square. It, Times New, Square. New York City no. Times Square is an F minus, you know. Times smelled Square to like, Smelled like ass, you know, bottle water is fifty dollars and every single time I open my mouth someone settles being inappropriate, you know? So right. don't go to Times Square. I will I will if, if Times Square is a one and Gatlinburg is a ten out of ten, I'm gonna give I'm gonna stamp uh, Cave City, uh, Kentucky. <laughs> 5.5 out of 10. Wow, 5.5 out of 10. You know, a lot of really cool... What, what they do, they, they, they have quality over quantity, you know? Lots it of really cool sparse. stuff to do. Very sparse. You know, really, 
you know, I mean, they, they got they got a whole, you know, haunted house that's abandoned that they could really make a lot of use for. Gun Mountain think, needs yeah, to bring I it back. I think it's on the, on the up and up. I think, I think it's coming back. I think COVID really wrecked shop on that oh, place, yeah, and I think it's sure. coming back, you know. For sure. I, I will reserve a higher grade once they open up some of the businesses, but... Um, but I mean, hey, I would go back to Cave City three more times before I went to Times Square one time. So there you go. That's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good. I'm. Is that? Are you closing out Forest Tourism Corner? That's the end of Forest Tourism Corner. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the end of the episode then. Go visit Bowling Green, Kentucky, and north of that, Mammoth's Caves, Kentucky.